Why do so many of us come across so differently on a date than we do in our natural everyday lives? Is success at dating truly as straightforward as developing a practical concrete skill set such as woodworking or cooking? Welcome to episode two of the dating series with Nick Turner, where he discusses the importance of mindset and the five pillars of dating, which are assume attraction, escalate to the point of explicit rejection, eliminate ambiguity, emoting, and a mysterious concept known as frame control, where your date may throw a verbal curveball to test how unshakable you are in your reality. And lastly, on a more basic level, what does it mean to have human interactions that actually work? My name is Benjamin Russick, licensed marriage and family therapist, and this is my podcast, Look, Just Tell Me What to Do. Nick, what is the first thing you'd like to talk about? The one I want to really want to address today is the mindset, like the mindset that makes people successful at dating. When people get into the realm of in trying to improve their dating, a lot of times what they're looking for is these kind of tricks or techniques. And sometimes they don't realize that the problem is pretty much always yourself. No. Yes. Oh. It's always about improving the way that you're interacting with other people, which means you have to get better at knowing yourself and building that skill set of self-reflection. But, but Nick, I'm perfect. Why would I need to improve myself? Exactly. Well, because maybe the real world is not replicating those results that you think you should have. So basically the real world is crazy and I have to adjust to the insanity out there in order to meet people. My perfection must diminish itself. You can look at it either way. <laughs> okay. I think both views are equally uh, reasonable. Fair enough. One thing to keep in mind is that you're not trying to focus on one person in your life, maybe that you've already met, or even you know, as you meet new people, you're not trying to change yourself and trying to figure out like what is the technique, what is the persona that I have to embody to attract this you know man or woman that I see. It's much better to think about a sea of people and screening out all the ones that wouldn't get along with you, that wouldn't find you, you know, potentially they have a physical type that doesn't that you don't match, the people that are unavailable, whether that's because they're in a relationship or just because they're emotionally unavailable. So if somebody has like green hair, tattoos, half their head shaved, I should probably back off. It depends. I mean, unless you're really into that. I'm not. Well, then perhaps, yes, move on. I think that working on your dating and the, the skill set and the mindset is really about screening out all the people that wouldn't be good matches and finding the people that really like you for you. When I first started out, a lot of the advice that they give is to go approach people, mm -hmm. which is both during the daytime, you know, at a park, a bookstore, but also at nighttime in a bar or a club. And I did a lot of approaches month after month after month, day after day, with just failure every single time. You must have um, some steel down there to be able to do that. Not, not to be that at the first, but you just have to make a decision that if it's a skill and mm -hmm. it's something that you want to get better at, then you need to try. Like I tr did weightlifting and, you know, you start out with very, very small weights that mm -hmm. are very difficult to move. And then, you know, over the course of months and years, you get stronger and stronger and stronger. And your social skills are really no different. So, so what's harder to, to move a blonde or a brunette? <laughs> I'm I'm generally partial to brunettes, but I think every hair color is wonderful. <laughs> Can you 
describe what it's like to cold approach people? Yeah, so when you're starting out, and this is one of the reasons why I wanted to make the focus of this episode on mindset, mm -hmm. is you walk up with a lot of insecurity, you walk up not really knowing what you're doing, and you also walk up with essentially your entire life of failures. Mm -hmm. Because up until this point, you have had no success. Mm -hmm. You you say hello to somebody and they can, uh, they realize your mindset because you're subcommunicating it non-verbally. Mm -hmm. And they realize that something's off, whether it's the insecurity, the neediness, you're, maybe you're holding a lot of tension in your body mm -hmm. uh, and your body is kind of very closed off mm -hmm. or you're not able to hold eye contact comfortably and there's mm -hmm. this tension. Mm -hmm. And then that comes across as just vaguely unattractive. And then they're like, uh, okay, it was, you know, it's nice talking to you. Goodbye. Mm -hmm. And they get out of the conversation very quickly mm -hmm. and you go through that hundreds of times oh over and over God, and over i can't imagine that and then you just look at your own behavior mm -hmm. and then over time you you know you take on the advice of others you take on the mindset advice that i'm going to give and you start making slow tweaks you say well if i would have had this mindset i would have acted a little bit differently or i would have did this or i need to hold my eye contact longer and you just work on a handful of things at a time mm -hmm. over months and you know what took me years yeah and you know you slowly turn those results around so people are more engaged in your conversation the conversations are going longer and then you eventually you're finding uh, a connection and you're finding attraction you know it's it's interesting i'm not the kind of guy that gets approached very often in public but mm -hmm. it has happened that i'll be you know trader joe's i'll be somewhere and i'll suddenly this uh, a woman will begin speaking to me for some reason and i don't really think about it until later like oh i wonder if that was a cold approach because she was so confident and kind of centered yeah. and and smooth about it and not really and i don't know if it was if i was being approached or not sure. but it was like there was nothing in my body that went going on here it was it was totally easy mm -hmm. um, yeah usually it's kind of a gray area because even though we are you know assigning terms and like giving a vocabulary to these concepts mm -hmm. we're really just describing something that's been happening for you know, a hundred thousand years, right. two human beings that didn't know each other coming together, learning about each other, and then mm -hmm. forming some type of either platonic or sexual relationship out of that. Do you think it's more difficult now in this day and age? Well, more difficult, yes. I think it's more complex. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, compared to times when we were in tribes of 150 people or less yeah. and people kind of knew each other from a young age or maybe, you know, a village, a, a neighboring tribe, I think that there probably weren't as many options. So you were more, you know, likely when two single people were together to be, well, like there's not, we, we don't have a ton of options. So we, we should figure out our differences and yeah. get along. <laughs> And, you know, also, uh, historically speaking, I think that, you know, marriage was really about the transfer of property and, and transferring assets. Yeah. So, you know, romantic marriage is a relatively recent idea. I think that, sure, it's, it's, a lot, it's a lot more complex than it has been in the past, but it's also, I think, better for both parties. They have more freedom. They have more options. People are able to live their own lives while maintaining casual relationships without getting into serious ones before they're ready. And you just have a whole host of options. And so back to your journey, you're yeah. failing hundreds of times, you're tweaking things, and you're about, what, a year in? 
Yeah, about a year in, a little bit year in, having a little bit of success, but still, I'm getting farther in my interactions, but it's not really, there's still a barrier, you know, there's still a wall between me and the women I was approaching. What does a little bit of success look like? You know, a little bit of success means getting more phone numbers or getting a first date here and there, being, you know, the interactions more flirting, more laughing, clearly there being a little bit more of attraction, but still kind of lacking the skill set to move things forward, to escalate and to make the whole interaction move smoothly. At some point there would be some rocky barrier. I just, mm -hmm. you know, we'd be, be on the first date and I wouldn't, you know, be myself or I'd be trying to hide something or trying to play this character, this part of this like attractive guy mm -hmm. and that would create a barrier and then the things would just kind of blow up so and then what happened and then i just finally figured out the combination of mindset everything and everything just clicked at once this is what happens with a lot of people both uh, men and women that i coach it's not a case of slowly increasing linear success where you know you get you know one successful relationship and then you have you know an eight-month dry spell and then another one but what normally happens is you have a lot of failures right up until the point where all of a sudden you just have more success than you know what to do with and you have an abundance of uh, partners and relationships. And I think that's because at a very base level, we're all pretty similar human beings. Obviously, we have different preferences and you know all the knobs are tweaked a little bit differently. But two people connecting is pretty similar across the board. Once you understand how to make it work with one person, then it really works for many people. And what is the thing that works that you figured out? Can you describe it? So I like to focus on the mindset, which I've tried to distill down into what I call the five pillars. Ah, here we are. And those are specifically mindsets that you can use as a metric. So you can judge your own behavior as well as you can predict in your head and say, well, if I was going to act differently in this imagined situation, you know, how does that behavior fall in line with these five pillars? And in my experience, if your actions fall in line with the five pillars, you'll have success. And if you're missing a couple of them, then that's when you'll run into trouble. Okay. Well, with no further ado, the first pillar is dun, dun, dun. assume attraction. I laugh at that. Why? I suppose because I've always considered myself to be a naturally arrogant person. Yet when I approach anybody, my first thought is, oh God, I look like hell. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's a, that is a common problem. Also, I used to be you know, fairly obese in mm -hmm. my youth. I have a mindset or had a mindset of an attractive person. You know, That's in my head. Yeah. This is a fat kid that still lives in my head, I think. Yeah. I think that because our society is so focused on your success you know in the sexual arena of mm -hmm. having partners and relationships mm -hmm. that that's really seen as you know like the ultimate thing to get there's sure there's looks and there's money and there's status but usually those things are only defined as being good because they're desirable by potential partners mm -hmm. That means that any amount of insecurity you have about yourself is going to come out in whether you think people are attracted to you or not. Because it's very hard for you if you feel like you're not the best you that you could be. Do you think others see the same thing? They see, well, Nick you know, is okay, but Nick could be so much better and I'm not going to be attracted to him until he's you know, that ideal, ideal scenario. It can be really difficult for people. People are constantly thinking, I, I have a bad hair day, or yeah, I'm not dressed right. You know, I've been having an off day and nobody's going to be attracted to me. And if you approach interactions with that mindset, it's going to kill the interaction. 
It's so interesting because I interview really, really well for some reason, like a job interview. Mm -hmm. And I go in there with the mindset of I'm there so lucky to have me. Yeah. (laughs) And I don't know where I got that. I kind of enjoy it. I kind of enjoy job interviews. And as a result, Mm -hmm. I do spectacularly well in job interviews. Just that. Nowhere else. Yeah. (laughs) Nowhere else, folks. You know, assume attraction is really, you know, a dating form of confidence. Mm Mm-hmm. And I always describe confidence as in the absence of explicit evidence to the contrary, just assuming that you'll be successful. This is really important because if the person you're going to talk to ends up being attracted to you and you're assuming that they're attracted to you, then things will go great. And if they're really not attracted to you at all, then whether you assume they are or you assume they aren't, it's not going to work out. So you might as well. Right. But the other two cases are the most interesting to me because there are times where you'll have somebody who's actually attracted to you. And because you're subcommunicating that you don't, you're not sure if they're attracted to you or not, it can actually cause them to lose interest and lose attraction for you. And it can kill the interaction, even though they started out being really interested. And on the flip side of that, if they are not interested in you, mm-hmm. but you act like you think that they are, like you assume they, they are attracted to you, then a lot of times that'll give them a second thought. They'll go, well, you know, I, I, I started this interaction. I wasn't really sure, but for some reason, this person is acting like I'm attracted to them. Mm-hmm. What's going on here? And then they think about what are the reasons I could be attracted? Mm-hmm. And in a lot of cases, it can actually turn the whole interaction around where it can just the act of assuming that someone's attracted can actually be the force that is attracting them to you. So I read somewhere, I don't remember where, that folks decide in like the first 30 seconds whether or not you're someone they want to sleep with. There's a lot of truth to that. How are you supposed to fight that kind of that kind of deep programming? You're not going to fight it. You're going to embrace it. Oh, boy. <laughs> so these are kind of all the mindsets. On the more you know practical action side of things, I always spend a lot of time with clients working on eye contact, working on their body language. Mm-hmm working on the vocal tonality, you know, how they're speaking. Also, you know, grooming. Like, mm-hmm. obviously, you want to have clothes that are fitting, no holes in them, be well-groomed and all that sort of stuff. Full disclosure, Nick Turner has a fine full beard. <laughs> I do. And it, it works very well. <laughs> so you're going to embrace all that, that, that immediate judgment by going into the interaction with all of those, you know, physical, vis- purely kind of visual things in check. That'll help you get through that first 30 seconds. It's not so much that they decide whether they want to sleep with you in 30 seconds, but it's whether whether you're even in the running, like whether you're a possibility. People will generally know in, in the first couple of minutes about like, I don't know where this could go. You know, this person could end up being a jerk or really, really lame, but you know, they're in the running because I could see this could work out well. Some advice I always give to people is pretend that the people that you're just meeting, imagine you've been dating them for like six months already. You Mm -hmm. know, assume a certain level of intimacy and rapport. And if you act like there's rapport, then often that time is, that's what creates the space to make it feel safe for rapport to actually grow. And that's a really helpful mindset because you'll naturally be a little bit more comfortable. You won't be trying to impress them and like working really hard to make it seem like you're this good catch. If you were just say, oh, you know, we already... We already know each other. We already, we've mm-hmm. already got through that phase. Now we can just be comfortable with one another. Comfort seems to be one of the most attractive things because if, if the person you're speaking to is comfortable, you feel comfortable. Yeah. If everyone feels comfortable, then it's our natural selves can step, step into the room. And on the flip side of that, the number one killer of attraction is neediness. And because neediness puts this you know, pressure 
mm-hmm. on the interaction mm-hmm. and it just stops on any attraction. Um, you know, it's also a warning signal because you don't, if someone is acting needy, you don't know what they might do. You don't know if they might lie to you. You know, you don't really know if they're going to be honest. Right. Cause they're going to be shifting around to fit what they think you want to see. Right. Because they are trying to achieve a goal. Yeah. It makes sense. So assume attraction first pillar, just go into every interaction, even, even if you know, statistically, it's not going to be the case in order to have success. You just have to enter the interaction going, yes, this guy is going to be really into me. This girl is going to just immediately fall in love with me. And this interaction is going to go really, really well. People usually, their first sign of trouble is when the inner interaction thinking it's going to fail because the last maybe 10 approaches or 100 approaches were failures. This is one of those things called fake it until you make it. In order to really change these deep foundational beliefs of whether you think you're going to have success or not, it takes reference experiences. It takes actually having that success. Until you get to that point, you've got to fake it. You know, you'll never get that success unless you can at least fake the positive mindset that you have the capability of being successful. Mm-hmm. The second pillar is escalate until explicit rejection. Can you talk about the word escalate? Because a lot of people might interpret that as manipulation or a kind of a predator. There's a predatory kind of sound to sure. it. Almost. It's unfortunate because our society doesn't really talk very explicitly about dating. There's a lot of articles in women's magazines, but they're usually pretty terrible. Uh, you know, if you look at like the the advice from Cosmo on mm-hmm. dating or sex, it's just, it's what ridiculous. Do, what do they say? I mean, they just do these like off the wall, crazy ideas that uh, they're really more, I think, to be entertaining to the readers than they are, you know, really solid advice. And then for guys, guys have very little, you know, education. It's just kind of taboo to even talk about because, and this kind of goes back to the whole idea of thinking about your success in relationships as being kind of the your value as you as a human being you're not supposed to have to quote you know work for it things are supposed to just happen because if they just happen then it's a reflection of your own value as a human being whereas if you work for it then you're somehow you know you're being tricky with that equation uh, and I don't buy into that at all. I think this is a skill set. I think it's just like carpentry or painting. This is something that you spend time with and you get better at. I also think that as you get better at dating, you're also growing as a person. But ultimately, you shouldn't have your own value being judged by whether or not you're having dating success because it's it's just a skill. And so bringing that back to the word escalation, everybody's always escalating. If you meet somebody at a party, going from not talking to talking is an escalation. Mm -hmm. Going from small talk to a more in-depth conversation about one of your, you know, hobbies or passions is an escalation. Indicating to somebody that you have interest in them. Uh, You can even escalate by, you know, maybe you met someone at one bar and then the two of you decided to go to another bar together. Even if it's like 30 minutes later after you met them, that's still an escalation because now you're in a new location together. And then it also takes into account physical escalation, um, you know, starting to touch, starting to hold hands, eventually a kiss and so forth. Okay. So the reason that the second rule is escalate until explicit rejection is that a lot of times people get, they get paralyzed because they're trying to figure out, is the other person interested in me and what do they want me to do? When you combine these two first pillars together, you get a very clear instruction manual. 
you assume the other person is attracted to you, and then you escalate with them until there is rejection. So you're never guessing whether they're interested. You are escalating and then finding out either they're uh, accepting of that escalation and the relationship moves forward, or they are rejecting the escalation. And that tells you either that things are, they're just not interested in you, or what it tells you is that there are some temporary objections, something they want, might want to know more about, or something you said earlier that was giving them an uneasy, uneasy feeling. And usually by escalating, it'll bring that stuff to the surface. And then you can handle any potential objections and then kind of come to a place uh, where you're both comfortable moving things forward. Okay. I should also stop now because this is a little bit vague and just mentioned that I'm a firm believer in yes means yes rather than no means no. <laughs> Got it. And you should always have explicit consent for everything. And you should also, uh, this is more for the guys, be aware that, um, especially when there's an age or power disparity, sometimes people can get kind of closed up when they're not comfortable in the situation mm -hmm. and they won't necessarily say no, but they become a little bit unreactive. You know, they just kind of, they, they freeze up a little bit and you should be, especially when you're taking this approach of assuming attraction and escalating until rejection, mm -hmm. you really need to be aware of that and be aware that just because they're not saying no doesn't mean things are all right. And you always need to check in with the, with your partner, make sure they're comfortable and have a lot of direct, explicit, honest communication between the two of you. So you're both comfortable moving things forward. What does an explicit rejection look like or sound like besides no, don't do that? An implicit rejection could be something like, I have to get back because I have to get up in the morning to study. Mm -hmm. A lot of people could take that as, oh, this person's being nice. They're just, they're just blowing me off. I like that as a rejection. But... That's not always the case. I've been on a date where that was that exact thing was said to me. This is kind of a, a preview for the next pillar, which is eliminating ambiguity, is that anytime you get an ambiguous statement like that, I want to use my communication to find out what they mean. Do they mean they're blowing me off and they're not interested? Or do they mean I'm really interested in you, but I actually have to get home and study? And by escalating, you can move from that implicit rejection to either getting an explicit rejection where they say, no, I'm actually not interested in you. Or then you can kind of resolve the situation because things end up still moving forward and they just have to get home that night. So she really had to study, huh? She did really have to study. That date ended with uh, agreeing to a relatively strict time schedule, but coming back to my place for an hour. <laughs> and we, we set a time and set a deadline. And oh, boy. <laughs> an hour, huh? Yeah, we still had a very fun date. Well, we were about five minutes away from my place at that point, which is also also a tidbit is always trying to make your first date to be about 10 or 15 minutes from your place. Ideally walking, but you know, driving. Staggering distance. Mm -hmm. So the third pillar. The third pillar is eliminate ambiguity. So that's both two-sided. It's both eliminating ambiguity on your own speech, meaning don't be ambiguous. Don't give people maybes. Don't be very vague. But also clarify when someone is giving you am ambiguous statements, find out what are they actually saying. Don't take it as implicit rejection, but to find out what do they really, really mean. There's a kind of date. It's not just a dating strategy, but even a strategy with friends. Uh, there's this thing called, you know, FOMO, fear of missing out, where people will say, well, maybe I can go to that event on Friday. And the reason they're saying that is because they want to find out if something better comes along before Friday. They haven't committed to anything, so they can still do that other thing. That is rampant with dating, where people always kind of be like, well, 
you know, they don't want to, at the end of the first date, they don't want to commit to a second date. Mm-hmm. They want to kind of say like, well, you know, we'll see. Let's like, let's do it over text because, you know, whether they're afraid of rejecting you or they just want to save that decision, who knows. But eliminating ambiguity is about embodying the type of person that doesn't have time or desire to live in that ambiguous space and to push for direct communication. So you just tell the person, hey, I think you could have meant this or meant this, but like, you know, what did you mean? Mm -hmm. A lot of times, this is just a helpful communication tip. If you kind of give them the worst scenario, you know, you give them like the worst possible interpretation of what they said and you feed it back to them in a very casual way. You're like, hey, if you're saying that, it's not even a big deal and showing that you're unaffected by it, then that can often create the space for them to be more upfront about what they're really trying to say because they're like, well, what I was going to say wasn't nearly as bad as what you assumed or what you, you know, what you mentioned. So I feel a lot more comfortable talking now. Yeah, that's a powerful one. I use that removing ambiguity, that idea <laughs> not really in dating, but I use it everywhere else, mm-hmm. especially as a therapist when the patient is saying something kind of vague but seems to have something in it that I need to know. You know, and I'm like, wait a minute, this person's being vague. I'm going to rip the, the cover off this one. Or just in my interactions at work or wherever. It's really useful because uh, we live in a vague culture, very passive, a lot of passive language in English, in California, maybe. I don't know what it is, if it's regional or not, but. It's really interesting that you say that because I really see this as, you know, being a dating coach, I see this all the time. People who have a lot of these skill sets in other areas of their life, in their friendships, in their professional life, it doesn't always translate to dating. It's like a lot of people's dating behaviors kind of only evolve when they're going on dates. People are totally different when they're dating. People always tell me this is like, well, I feel like, you know, when I'm with everybody else, I'm this, I'm, you know, very easygoing. I'm very uh, funny. You know, I'm very confident, but then I get on a date and it's just like a totally different me. And that's part of why trying to be explicit about these mindsets is about bringing some of those behaviors into your dating life as well. Speaking of removing ambiguity, you actually mentioned uh, a good story about being at a party with a, with a cook. Oh, oh yeah. That's right. I was at a dinner party and I like to cook. And this guy had made like the most amazing, weird, like simple food. It was like cauliflower that was cooked in a certain way that I had never seen before. Mm. And so I started asking him questions like, what's this and what's that and what the what? And he, I think he got wind of the fact that I was, I knew enough about cooking to ask questions that your average you know, human wouldn't ask. And he finally said, look, man, why don't you just get my number and uh, come over some time and I'll, I'll show you a few things. He was a chef. Oh, nice. And then he said, and I want you to know, this is not a bullshit party conversation. I really mean it, which was like kind of startling to hear someone say yeah. that because he knew that his statement was a little bit ambiguous. It was kind of like it could have been taken as like, yeah, I just got on my face and exactly. come over sometime, you know, and, and hang out. And I don't make f- new friends very easily, especially with, you know, men. It's like, it, I don't know what it is with us. We don't make friends. I, I don't. I mean, men in my age group, 40s, like we, we kind of have our cliques and we kind of stick to them. So I said, sure. And so I got his number and called him up and went over and he gave me a, an amazing cooking class. It turns out he's been wanting to develop his teaching cooking skills, I guess. And I was kind of his guinea pig, which is really cool. Now I've got this chef in my phone that I can like, take a picture and text like, look, I'm eating this. And he'll say, no, that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Do it this way or whatever, you know. Um, 
so yeah, that's a, that's I think a pretty good example of, of he he removed the ambiguity, I guess. Yeah. Because I was sitting there going, "What is this? Is this invitation real?" And had I had I had the skills in the moment, I would have said, I could have said, "So is this a <laughs> excuse me, sir? But is this a bullshit party conversation?" Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I just can't emphasize enough to our listeners that these are not just pickup skills. It's not about this. It's about human making human having human interactions that work. I think that example is so powerful because look at it from both directions. Mm-hmm. On one hand. Think about how many other, as you said, bullshit party conversations you've had and how, from your perspective, how much he stood out yeah. from all the other people that you had conversations with. Yeah. And in the same way for dating, you know, approaching it as a man, women are going to have plenty of conversations with guys that are not able to be direct. They're not able to remove the ambiguity. They're not able to just be honest about what they want and, you know, who they are. And so it's going to be really refre- refreshing yeah when you do it it's interesting because i was at the at the same party i was talking to some this woman who was she had a really cool sounding job she was a psychologist over at a prison somewhere and i was asking her questions about it and i realized about five minutes into talking to her that she had not asked me a single question not even my name Mm -hmm. it would have been so nice in a way if she had shut the conversation down or just like what if she had said yeah i don't want to talk about my job and i don't want to talk to you either (laughs) you know yeah it's like let's just i hear they do that in new york like at, at parties that they'll just a little bit more abrupt yeah they'll just if you say the wrong thing they'll just blink at you and kind of walk off yeah <laughs> but uh yeah no offense new york and on the other side think about from his perspective so for you know for you that was probably you know a more rare occurrence for somebody to do that he probably does that in every conversation he has so think about he's going through life where every time he's at a party having this conversation or in any you know situation, he's immediately getting kind of past that bullshit small talk stuff, and he's getting more real, and he's having these more these deeper conversations with people. I've I've tried that often, find it scares people off. You know, mm. I guess it's it maybe the depressed part of me is like, oh, woe is me, I'll never have a deep conversation. But sometimes I go to go to a party, and it's like the small talk drives me completely crazy. Yeah. Well, I think in, in, in dating can be very similar to finding friends in that it's about screening. If you put that out there, if you put the type of conversation you want to have and what's really interesting to you and you put it out there with everybody you meet, then sure, 80 or 90% of the people you meet might be like, oh, that's a little bit weird for me. I don't know. Right. But the ones that you connect with are going to be like, oh, Ben is great. I, what The reason I like him is because we have these conversations and then their relationship is very personally rewarding to both of you. And then think about this. Think about how many people might be walking around. You maybe had small talk with and you were both kind of bored about the small talk, but you would have connected if you had had that deeper conversation. And I think the same thing is true uh, with dating. If you spend you know, a date in small talk, that's a terrible date. I always tell people, think about how many potential partners that would have been really interested if you had both been yourselves, but because you guys both got stuck in small talk, you both thought, oh, this other person's boring because they just wanted to do small talk. I think there's a lot of connections out there that could be made that are missed out because neither person is you know willing to put themselves out there and be vulnerable one thing i did on a date once is i was i said to her you know i've never met you you never met me we have about an hour hour and a half tops should we make this an interesting conversation or a boring one what do you think who wouldn't want the interesting conversation and it kind of opened up a lot of stuff because i was like okay well ask me any any question you want it got kind of it got interesting (laughs) i'll tell you that i didn't see her again but I guess that was kind of an escalation a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Also, also a, um, I don't know if that falls under the umbrella of removing ambiguity. I call it calling out the moment. Like, what's happening in this moment right yeah. now? Like, here we are on this 
is that a, is that a what where does that fall under dating when you call out what's sort of happening in the moment uh yeah i mean i always kind of refer to that as going meta yeah you can start talking about what's actually happening in the conversations that are happening and that can be really powerful you know when used appropriately yeah. if you look at the three pillars all together it's about momentum it's about keeping the interaction from plateauing and becoming boring it's about keeping it novel by constantly moving things forward. Then when somebody is thinking about dating, you, you know, with you, they're not going to think, you know, I don't know what would happen if we spent two hours together because maybe it's just going to stick in the same place. They're going to know, oh, they're going to move things forward. They're going to make moves. They're going to make it easy on me because I'm like, I don't have to make the first move. It just keeps, again, that kind of momentum of the date moving forward, which is really important, especially in the first couple dates. Right. So there's a fourth pillar out there. Yes. The fourth pillar is emoting is the ability to emote this is something that i think applies to everybody but uh, it generally is more of an issue for men i think that from a very young age just the language used with children mm -hmm. is more emotional emotionally driven for uh, little girls than mm -hmm. for little boys mm -hmm. and i think that continues into the a lot of the media and the and the um, you know magazines and even websites women, uh, women are taught more to speak about their emotions and also handle their emotions where guys are given uh, generally no insight into their own emotional state or how to control it. This results, you know, specifically for dating and having these very fact-based conversations where you say, well, I went here, I lived here. Oh, I, I'll give you a perfect example. I was coaching a guy who is very successful now, but there was a time period in his life where he uh, was living out of his car for like three months and was homeless because a job fell through and like all, all this crazy stuff. One of the things I encouraged him to do was actually bring that up, whether on the first date or even sometimes in the first 15 minutes of cold approaching, because it, it's very informative about the journey that he went through. And when he first started out doing it, you know, they would ask him, oh, you're living in San Francisco. Where do you live now? Before this, he would go, well, I had a job, but then it fell through, and then I was homeless, and I lived out of my car for three months, and then I moved back in with my parents. I got a job, and now I'm doing this. And that was the whole, and then he would just kind of move on. Boy. And you could see on the women's faces that clearly they had a ton of questions, and they wanted to know about all this stuff, and they were really curious but he he didn't really have the the communication skill set to speak emotionally about that time in his life or really a lot for a lot of people they can't speak emotionally about any time in their life they just go back to these facts and that can be very uh challenging to creating rapport you know creating this deeper connection it can put up a wall in between you and the other person you mm -hmm. can't speak emotionally so not only do i focus on literally stating your emotion i i during this period of my life yeah i was feeling really scared or i was feeling really happy i was feeling lonely you know just going into how you're feeling but also talk about what you learned, like lessons that you learned from that period in your life. And then also talk about how you've changed your own behavior moving forward based on that experience. And that'll really uh, help you connect because it'll show the other person that you change over time, that you are reactive to the things that ha have happened in your life and you can kind of come up with a plan to handle them better. And it lets them know like what struggles you've overcome, which is always, uh, I think an important part of making a connection with somebody is if this person has undergone no struggles in their life, no growth, then it puts them in a, a very different you know situation than somebody who's gone through a lot of personal growth. Mm -hmm. And so if you do all these other four pillars, but you don't have 
the emotion and you're and you're not emoting and you're just speaking in facts you're just it's not going to work okay is there any other new tricks to emoting besides stating your feelings like is there body language is there a way to engage like deep breathing or, or what that people can engage with their feelings and, and have them be known i think there are a lot of tools that you can use i think they're generally more related to like broader kind of dating and life in general than specifically about emotions. But I do recommend meditation because it gives more focus, uh, creates a deeper sense of calm when you're talking with people. Mm -hmm. I think that eye contact, as I mentioned before, is extremely important. When I work with people, I usually have them do exercises of specifically holding eye contact uh, very intensely mm -hmm. because just most people are not used to it. And certainly being more relaxed in your body language, being aware of if you're holding tension in your chest and shoulders, being aware of your posture, all of those things can help you be more expressive and use your body you know, more as an instrument. I always recommend people try some form of uh, dance, whether it's a partner dance like swing dancing or salsa or uh, more solo like R&B but just something that helps people become aware of their body. That's one of the reasons why I love training Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Which we both do. Yes, and which you are- uh, Which I mention in just about every podcast I've done and probably every podcast I will ever do. So the last pillar. The last pillar is the probably hardest one to describe, but it is called frame control. First, I should describe what a frame is. So anytime you're looking at a painting or at a window, you're- always having that uh, view surrounded by a frame. Uh, so the frame is the unspoken context behind an interaction. It could be your kind of mindset or worldview or just where you're coming from that you don't necessarily address. Now, because you can, as we talked before, you mentioned going meta, you can kind of elevate the frame into the actual topic of conversation and then, th then it becomes more like a debate or an argument. But a lot of times people are having these kind of subconscious frame battles where they're coming at the same topic from two points of view, but they don't really ever address what those points of view are explicitly. They kind of just use different words and language to describe the same thing, but clearly they don't want to concede to the other person's way of phrasing things because they realize it conflicts with their frame. In dating, this is often what we call a congruency test. Okay, can you say more about that? Yeah, so a congruency test is someone will say something that is a little bit shocking. It'll be something that is not necessarily designed because it could be subconscious, but it's kind of designed to throw you off your game a little bit. The mm -hmm. reason we call it a congruency test is usually it's because one person has just done something. They've done something that has this implicit claim of like who they are as a person. You know, maybe if you are representing that you have a lot of abundance in dating, then you could casually throw out a comment, you know, that you're you're dating five people. And the other person is wants to see like, is that, is this or person- Or scream and run. Yeah. Well, they're seeing like, <laughs> is this person being serious? Is right. this what's going on here? And right. they'll make a statement that's designed to kind of test the other person. And then either that person will, will lose their frame and they'll kind of become supplicating and they'll drop their point of view and adopt the other person's, or they'll maintain a more dominant frame which will come across as more confidence. And then, you know, and then the kind of frame battle, as you would call it, kind of extends from there. A great example could be, say, Jon Stewart going on Crossfire. There's a great clip online where Crossfire is this uh, like CNN-style debate show, right versus left. Mm -hmm. And Jon Stewart goes on that show thinking, and everybody thought he was just going to be a guest because he was hosting the Jon Stewart show. And be time, funny. And be funny. And he came on and said, guys, and he had a very serious face, guys, you guys are hurting 
America. You know, this left versus right, you're inviting on partisan hacks that don't really try to make points. They just try to win points with their base. And this conflict is stopping a real debate from happening and it's hurting America. And there was this frame where they kind of clearly wanted him to be funny and engaging. And mm -hmm. he was like, no, we're really going to talk about this. Yeah. At one point he said, look, I'm not your monkey yeah. to come here and just entertain you. Uh, there was a great interview uh, that Bob Dylan gave uh, with a bunch of reporters where they're trying to get him to like play the rock star and play like all crazy life. And he was really there to talk about the music. And there was clearly these two different frames. And it was oh, I'd like to see that. And how that generally comes out is that either you're somebody who generally loses frame or you're somebody who generally holds a small, strong frame. And that kind of just comes down like how deeply rooted are you in your own reality? You know, how unshakable are you? If you have a controversial opinion on something, you know, during a date and the person you're on a date with challenges you on it, if you immediately drop your point and be like, oh, because you don't want to offend them or you want to come across as nice or you don't want to seem too controversial, then you'll have that tendency to kind of drop your frame. But what it comes across to the other person is, is that you're spineless. You know, you're supplicating because you're trying to gain their favor. It comes across as needy. And so frame control is just becoming aware of when your frame is challenged and be aware of when you're dropping it or not. And that kind of goes into confidence. And that also is a part of being polarizing, you know, especially in dating. Uh, but this is true in, in, in all walks of life. The worst thing to be is bland. The worst thing is to be is to have nobody have any strong feelings about you at all. Yeah. Because then you're forgettable, you're interchangeable, you're... You know what Oscar Wilde said? Something along the lines of, don't worry not whether or not people are uh, talking negatively about you because the worst thing is just not to be talked about at all. Yeah. And so in dating, uh, it's really important to be polarizing. Do things that will cause the people that like you to really like you. And that will cause the people who don't like you to be very aware that they don't like you. <laughs> and then that's how you screen out all the people you're not going to be compatible with versus the people you are. This kind of goes back to the very first thing we talked about, that the mindset is not about convincing this one person that's pre-existing in your life that you're a good match for them. It's rather about screening. Because what if that one person disagrees with you on some very fundamental things? Are you going to kind of hide that and change who you are right. to appease this person? Yeah. No, that's that's madness. Yeah. I was on a, a date once and this woman started talking about politics almost immediately. I've got nothing against people who talk about politics, but it, it was like I was being sized up politically immediately mm -hmm. and it was such a turnoff. Um, and she was, it's, she was, I guess, I guess what you, she was sort of thrusting her frame out there. Yeah. So my, my, instead of holding a frame, I just kind of stepped away. Is that, is that acceptable? Do you think also like, I generally don't concede in yeah. a frame position. If like, if I don't feel like fighting about it, I just step back and like, let the person like, okay, sure. Take, you know, whatever you want, do, do your thing, you know? Yeah. Generally, uh, anytime you're in a, you know, a so-called frame battle, it, either the stronger frame wins or the conversation stops and it could just be the conversation on that topic yeah but you kind of just uh, see that you're not going to see eye to eye and just move yeah on. that's what i generally do i just switch topics so with those five mindsets i really do feel like that is pretty all-encompassing what you need to know to have this you know attractive mindset that works well for dating i use it both proactively and retroactively i both use it for positive thinking you know, when I'm getting out ready to go, whether I'm going out to approach or I'm just going on a date, I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm going to go in, I'm going to assume attraction. And I know on my game plan is going to, 
I'm going to escalate, you know, rather than waiting for the other person to escalate or guessing what they want, I'm going to try it and see. If there are any objections, handle them. I'm not going to have any ambiguity in my speech. And I'm thinking these things as I'm going out so that I get in that mindset. And then I also use it looking backwards. If something didn't work out, whether it's a single approach or a date, I can go back and go, okay, were the things I did were they in line with these five pillars? Almost universally, for things that went badly, I clearly was missing one, two, or potentially all five of them. Then I use that for imagining how I'm going to act in the future to try to build these habits you know, alone by myself. So I think, okay, if I get in that situation again, if I was following these five pillars, what would I have done? And then you know, you let your brain come up with you know, a dozen different things you could have said or a dozen different routes you could have taken. And you evaluate all those, did they meet the five pillars or not? And when you find a set that does match all five, then you go, okay, I'm going to do that in the future. And you, and you think about that. You play it over in your head when they say this or when they do this, I'm going to, instead of doing this old, potentially needy behavior that didn't work out well for me, I'm going to do this new behavior instead. And over the course of months and potentially years, you're slowly going to incrementally change all of your interactions with people. You're going to eventually kind of adopt these mindsets so that they're your default working mindsets. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be easy at first because a lot of these these things run counter to um, how we were raised, you know, especially if we're people that aren't having a lot of success in dating. I mean, these are also mindsets that generally people who are very successful in dating are kind of just naturally approached, even if they don't realize it or put it into words. Yeah, I, I do these things, but in other, like we said earlier, other areas of my life, I don't know what it is that happens in dating. It's almost like the, I think it has to do with power and having your power taken from you or perceiving that your power is being taken from you because you're being scrutinized or you feel like you're being scrutinized. Yeah, that makes sense. Anyway, uh, did you have anything else you wanted to add? I think those are the most important things to have. And then certainly I'd like to go into some of the more practical aspects. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so what's uh, next? In another episode. I'd like to cover how to actually run a 15-minute. I usually try to target 15 minutes mm -hmm. if I'm approaching you know, a stranger out in the world. Mm -hmm. And how do, I, how do you actually structure those 15 minutes? What do you want to talk about? What do you want to say? You know, how do you actually set up a date or ask for a number and really get into some of the nitty gritty about what does it actually look like? <laughs> oh my God. It makes me nervous. Just it makes my heart rate up just thinking about walking up to somebody in the street and 15 minutes later somehow landing a date that just sounds unreal. It's unreal for a lot of people mm -hmm. until they make it real. All right, Nick Turner, I'm going to end this podcast by saying uh, to my listeners, go forth, be fruitful, and multiply. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. As always, pertinent information stemming from this podcast, including links and other resources, are available in the episode notes. Should you have any questions, feedback, or wish to be a guest on my podcast, I can be reached at benjaminrusick at gmail.com. That's B-E-N-J-A-M-I-N-R-U-S-S-A-C-K at gmail.com. You can also reach me by going to my website at benjaminrusick.com. In addition, I encourage you to subscribe, like, leave comments, and all the rest. Thanks again, and remember, if your plate is full, sometimes you need to scrape a few things off to the side, and sometimes you just need a bigger plate.